Welcome to a special series on the Bohemian podcast called The Great War, The Czech Experience. Here are your hosts. Dobry večer and good evening from Prague. I'm your host Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy podcast. On episode two of our special series of The Great War, The Czech Experience, we will dive on into what is called the flashpoint to the Great War, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. The date was June 28, 1914. Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria, heir presumptive to the Austro-Hungarian throne, and his wife Sophie, Duchess of Hollenburg, were shot dead in Sarajevo by Gavrielo Princip, one of the group of six Bosnian Serb assassins, known to many as the Black Hand. The political objective of this assassination was to break off Austria-Hungary's South Slavic provinces that they could be combined into a greater Serbia, or what we know today as Yugoslavia. The assassin's motives were consistent with the movement that later became known as Young Bosnia. The assassination led directly to the First World War, as many of us know from our history classes. The Austro-Hungarian Empire subsequently issued the ultimatum against Serbia, which was actually partially rejected. Austro-Hungaria then declared war, making the outbreak of World War I. And Travis, as we look at the flashpoint here, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand really set the table for everything else that was to, was to follow in the next few weeks and months, which were numerous nationalities taking sides dependent upon either familiar connections with, with their potentates or their emperors by bloodline or by agreements made by, other, um, by, by one country to another. So all the sides were pretty much set immediately after this. Yeah, because it was basically a whole network of alliances and and secret treaties and, you know, weapons buildup and navies buildup. And, yeah, just kind of, you know, referred to as a powder keg the, the for things good we, reason. The things we talked about about setting the table in our first episode of this uh, Czech experience of World War One, that you know, there there was just so many things that were, were set in motion here. And I think what amazes me as we look back at the centennial of these events back in 1914, it was very easy to kind of read the tea leaves to see that it just took one thing to set to set the wheels in motion. That's why we call this this particular episode Flashpoint. And the one thing here was the assassination. He was the Archduke of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Why was it important that we kind of focus on him as far as who he was? Well, because I think the inner workings of him led him to be in Sarajevo at all. He was a complicated man. So Archduke Franz Ferdinand really wanted to make a statement by being in Sarajevo to check on the, the military preparation that was going on there because there was a lot of things being set up in, in this region, this theater of operation, that the Austro-Hungarian Empire were, were, was going to try to uh, reevaluate and, and maybe try to make more territories and give, give the Slavic people maybe more of a voice. Some people didn't want that and he needed to actually be there to see if he can solidify this. So that, that sense of hubris or the sense of, of uh, being untouchable and not really knowing that he could have been a, a man with a target on his back kind of lends to the point of, of, of who he was. Travis, he was a complicated man in a lot of respects. He wasn't like his uncle, the Emperor Franz Joseph, who was very comfortable in his role. He knew, he knew exactly how the Austro-Hungarian Empire needed to be run, and uh, he kept the empire together for, for, many, for many, many years. However, his nephew, Franz Joseph, really wanted things to go in a different direction. And I know that in our previous podcast, we talked about that relationship between uh, his uncle, Emperor Franz Joseph, was, was a strained one because Franz Joseph didn't really believe that his nephew had a handle about what was going on. Ferdinand wanted to forge his own path leading the Austro-Hungarian Empire. We've kind of mentioned before, we've touched on before that he wasn't necessarily groomed for the throne. 
like he wasn't raised as to be the future emperor from a young age like you should have been if if that was the case because he was kind of he was third in line uh, he only became the heir apparent after the death of the emperor's son who was uh, crown prince rudolf in, in 1889 and then his own father archduke charles charles lewis in 1896 so it was only f since 1896 that he was the next in line to the throne and i, I know we've we've talked before too that um, you know, like he, he married beneath his station. So as an example, like many, many in the inner circles knew Franz Ferdinand or thought of him as kind of like a, a very arrogant and sort of prideful man that was kind of mistrusting. Yeah, he was, he was mistrusting. And he, he would, anybody that served around him, he would vet them very carefully because he didn't trust them. I'm not sure exactly why it was, it was an issue of mistrust. I think it might have been just part of his nature. And it might, it might have also lent to his bad temper that he was said to have. Uh, when it yeah. came to, to these ceremonial roles as a monarch, he, he was, as we mentioned, a complicated man. And it was probably very difficult to work with him, uh, maybe as an aide-de-camp or as, as a, uh, an advisor of some sort. Uh, you were probably mistrusted the moment you walked into the room, um, and you were probably yelled at from, from the word go. So uh, you can definitely see that he needed some kind of calming, and that person that probably would give him that calming was, was Sophie Chotek, who was, was uh, his, his wife, and, and Travis... You know, this man tried to live a culture of life, but there was some things missing with him. And I think that Sophie actually added to it. Can you tell us, you know, a little bit about that relationship that he had with Sophie? This Sophie Chotek was, you know, you could call it he married beneath the station. Like he, she wasn't within the royal circles to begin with. But, um, you know, they had three kids together. And I, I think he was happily married because, you know, he, he chose her. It wasn't like an arranged marriage. So the marriage eventually only took place after Ferdinand agreed to renounce all rights of succession for his children, which, which we mentioned before. And th this really exacerbated that, that strained, already strained relationship he had with his uncle, Franz Joseph. Who, by the way, did not even attend. He didn't the, even come to the wedding. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's rough. All right. So, so there was a lot of uh, inner workings, a lot of drama inside the, the royal family at this point with this. But, you know, the thing that's interesting about this is that he, from what we, I've read about this, that he, you know, really loved Sophie. Sophie uh, was of bohemian descent. Um, so it kind of connected part of the empire more towards the the maybe central focus of Vienna uh, and, and that part of the Habsburg family. But like Travis, like you said, he married beneath him. So this really didn't uh, really help out with his status level. He was, keep in mind, the people of the Austro-Hungarian Empire really noticed that he lacked the charisma and that would guarantee popularity. He didn't have it. Um, he was kind of a self-centered guy. Uh, uh, he really didn't fall into line of what most monarchs were supposed to do in, in this cultural society. And he yeah, kind of followed his own drum. It's it's funny to me that when I read of this guy, it seems like he understood some things about the empire that, that the other kind of, you know, including the emperor, but other cabinet members or parliament members didn't get. And that was that there was a lot of, you know, ethnic diversity in Austria. I mean, Germany, everyone's German, right? But Austria-Hungary, you have Hungarians... Austrians, but many more. You have like Czechs and Slovaks and, and these South Slavs, you know, Bosnians and Serbs. And he kind of understood that um, and tried to take steps in, in the direction of, um, you know, appeasing everybody. And that was not popular with the nobility, especially with the Austrians, right? So, I mean, why are we even talking about this on a Czech podcast, right? Because uh, Franz Ferdinand actually 
tried to, you know, it was a dual monarchy, and he actually took steps into making a, it a, a triple monarchy, if you will, or or trialism. Trialism, a, a, you know, a triple monarchy because, of bringing everybody together. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and one of one of the emperor's titles was actually King of Bohemia, and that was completely ignored on purpose. It was, you know, he was he was the emperor and the king. He was the emperor of Austria and the king of Hungary, and that's where it stopped. But officially, he was the also the king of Bohemia, and Franz Ferdinand actually tried to take official steps into getting that more recognized. Um, this, you know, would have given the Slavs a little bit more power, just kind of just basic human rights issues, to some degree, and and he 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 was in favor of taking steps in that direction. Um, he was kind of interesting to the Czech people. So while, while the Austrians might have hated him, the, the, the Czechs at least looked at him with a curious eye, you know, kind of looking in his directions because he was kind of hinting at, you know, them getting... Well, a seat at the table. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, so, keep, keep in mind that the people of Bohemia at this time, especially parts of Moravia, they were considered like the workhorses of this empire. They, they had a, a, a pretty entrenched uh, uh, industrial uh, sets within certain areas, certain cities, and in, in, uh, throughout what is today the Czech Republic. Um, so they were kind of the engine that moved this industrial revolution they were along. vital for the economy and everything. Absolutely, but, but yeah. they didn't get a seat at the table. They didn't have a voice. They weren't cultured enough. It's got to be a slap in the face. So here's the first time that the possible emperor-to-be was going to possibly listen to these things. And this is one of the reasons why he's in Sarajevo exactly. in 1914, yep. right? He wants to answer that Slavic question and how to bring people and maybe uh, principalities or, or, or areas together under under this this double eagle, as, a, as it were to say. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I wonder if, if he kind of misunderstood... Um, because him him trying to help out the Czech people is one thing, because Czechs were under Austria-Hungary for 300 years at this point. But Sarajevo, or you know, let's say Serbs and Bosnians and Croatians and all the other Slavic people in the empire, was a much more newer and kind of looser arrangement. And not the, to mention religiously very, oh, very different. Yeah. Right. Yeah, oh yeah. Not not you can't just say they were Orthodox or Catholic because some of them were Muslim. I mean, it was it was a very different place. And for him to kind of say, okay, so you know, I, I, I'm I'm a friend to the Slavs. I can help these South South Slavs, whereas the South Slavs just wanted nothing but independence. You know, they were fighting for independence for centuries now, and uh, I think he, you know, this is kind of my interpretation, but I think he, there there's a big misunderstanding on his part of what can be expected in a place like Serbia. But um, I guess he'll find out. Well, you know, we we talked about this in, in other and podcasts on the Bohemian podcast. Uh, in the past about that sort of Slav, pan-Slavic movement. And maybe he kind of fell into this idea that, that there could be a kind of a unification of the Slavic people. And and this was difficult for, for a lot of people to grasp because when we talk about Slavs, Travis, what are we talking about here? We're, we're talking not just about the people in the, in the Balkans, but we're talking about the Bohemians. We're talking about the Russians in a lot of ways, Poles, are we not? The oh, Poles. yeah, sure. And a lot of those folks uh, maybe not have a lot to kind of gather themselves as, as a unified front, uh, and if you were to put all of them together, who would be the loudest voice? Probably the Russians. Well, that's that's why the idea died in the there end. There you go. Yeah. So so already it's kind of a failed idea, this pan-Slavic movement. I, you know, 
Well, the, the pan-Slavic movement turned into the Soviet Union. Right, so. very, very yeah. quickly. So, Travis, this kind of leads us to why in the world is he in Sarajevo at this point? They actually, he was there on invitation from General Oskar uh, Petoriak, which uh, uh, as Inspector General of the Army, Franz Ferdinand had to make a visit to really kind of inspect what was going on there to the capital of Bosnia in Sarajevo. He needed to inspect the army maneuvers. So in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, there were provinces that had been under Austro-Hungarian administration since the 1870s by, uh, of course, all international agreement. Austria annexed the provinces outright in, in around the turn of the century, and the co controversial move which made governments so upset was in the West. However, greater Serbia proponents were, were really outraged. Yeah, I would point out that this was like six years previously. It was like 1908 or something. So already so, that, you know, it's already a lot of... It's pretty fresh that this happened. So, yeah. They wanted the province to be part of the Serbian-led pan-Slavic state we just mentioned, rather than part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The, at this point, we have to enter the Black Hand, which was the terrorist organization based in, in Serbia that was really dedicated to the assassination of Franz Ferdinand when they heard that he was going to make a, a trip to Sarajevo in June of 1914. Travis, let's, let's walk through this, this day. At, at this point, Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie and uh, his, his uh, uh, whole motorcade, so to speak, were riding through the streets of Sarajevo on the 28th of June. Uh, Franz Ferdinand and his wife were heading towards City Hall after, the, after checking on, on, on these maneuvers as his role as Inspector General of the Army. And what had happened at that point was a, a failed attempt to, to uh, kill him and his wife. Exactly. But not everyone realizes that there was a failed attempt first. So someone from the black hand threw a hand grenade, which no one died, or, or some people were injured and were rushed to the hospital. But the Archduke was fine, and they made it to the city hall. And so he complained. There's yeah, this is a great quote of this. Yeah. He says, you know, this is him talking to the, the mayor of uh, Sarajevo. He said, quote, what is the good of your speeches? I come to Sarajevo on a visit, and I get bombs thrown at me. This is outrageous, unquote. So <laughs> you yeah. can tell, yeah, he's, he's a little perturbed about almost being great, killed. Great welcome here, yeah. Um, but it's interesting. So people, as soon as this happened, people were kind of advising him to seek safety, okay? Assassination attempt just failed. Get out of Dodge. Does he do this? No. He sticks around the city hall. He listens to the... Um, to this, to the mayor's speech and everything, and then okay, again he's advised go seek safety, get out of town. Does he do that? No. He tells his advisors and his drivers, he's like, no, I'm going to show solidarity here. I'm going to show my strength, and I'm going to go to visit the hospital of the wounded men. Okay, and the, the men that were wounded in the previous in, in attack this that in day, this failed attack. Day. Yeah, right. So uh, he tells his driver go to the hospital. Now there's a problem here because the driver you know, this Viennese chauffeur doesn't really know Sarajevo that well. And, and he doesn't, doesn't have a Garmin. He doesn't, doesn't have a, doesn't <laughs> so, have a GPS. So, so there's no GPS at the time. So, so he's and, probably uh, a little lost in Sarajevo. He's kind of lost. And um, from, from the way I, I know the story is that he, he kind of went down a back alley and either took a wrong turn or went the wrong way up a one-way street or whatever. But he realized he took the wrong turn and he stopped to back down the street while... Well, meanwhile, Princep, who is now known as the famous assassin that, that shot him, um, after the failed attempt, he ran away and then decided it's a good time for a sandwich. So he went into a sandwich shop that and had, odd. had lunch, okay? <laughs> Cup of coffee and, and a sandwich. And he just, he finished his sandwich and, and presumably his beer or coffee or whatever and steps outside and who does he see 
pulling up into reverse down a one-way street or down a back alley or whatever, but none other than the Archduke and his wife. And he's just kind of dumbstruck in the middle of the street there, and then he pulls out his gun and, and starts shooting at him. And So the first, the first bullets wind up hitting um, his wife, so Fran yeah. Franz Ferdinand's wife, she, Sophie. She dies pretty quick. She, she says, I, I a forget gunshot. Her, yeah, I forget yeah. her last words, but she says something, and he, he's like, don't die on me. And then uh, he shoots again, and another one goes through the seat and hits him in the neck. Um, but he still would have survived this. Can I, can I jump ahead and say Absolutely. how he dies? So uh, he would have survived this, except for some horse hair in the upholstery on the seat gets lodged into the wound, and that gets infected, and so he ends up dying a couple of days later. Or yeah, so some say that, that there was also a, a garment malfunction, if, if you will, uh, with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, right. because there were other wounds that weren't treated as well because no one could get to them fast enough. Because he was sewn into his he freaking He was clothes. sewn into his suit. So we, we talked yeah. to how prideful of a man he was. He also was a little bit of a clothes horse. So what this meant was that, that in order for his suits to look crisp and good and well-fitting, he had every suit that he ever wore um, sewn onto him. So... So it wasn't Hipster. like it, well, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those things where he had every morning this process where someone would sew in him into his suits. They looked good. He wanted to look the part. The problem is, is that you have a bunch of people trying to take his clothes well, off to see where he was. Injured. They didn't have spandex back then. Yeah. What are, so, what are you going to do? So th there were some things that kind of went went astray with the the, the shrapnel wounds and other wounds from from the uh, from the bullet that might have caused some more bleeding issues. So the wounds were infected and he died um, afterwards. So. This really was a happenstance issue. Well, yeah, and one, one important thing to note here is that he was kind of one of the voices of reason that was trying to keep the whole Serbian thing from escalating. So he was actually saying, no, we can't demand too much on Serbia because because of Russia. And, you know, Austria did this before, and Russia kind of backed down. He knew this where his uncle did not, right? Exactly. His Well, there was another advisor that was advising his, his uncle to take very strong measures against Serbia. And Franz Ferdinand was saying, no, you know, Russia did make threats, blah, 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 blah. And um, so this was kind of one voice of reason removed now. And, and another interesting tidbit to all this was that um, going back to Sophie, uh, his, his wife, that, he, that he, really, he loved very, very much, because of her station in life, the fact that she was someone beneath being married to as far as the, the royal crown would be concerned as far as the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, Franz Joseph, the, the sitting emperor at the time, did not allow her to be seen in public with his nephew, Franz, Franz Ferdinand, because of this, this issue. So she wasn't allowed to be around with him, except on this trip, she wanted to be a part of the trip, and just so happened to be the, her, her death warrant. So this was kind of one of those, those really you know, tough situations where if he just left her at home, she probably would have survived. Uh, but she wanted to accompany her husband with the, with him on this trip. And of course, it led to uh, disaster. Travis, as we look at the domino effect, we, we touched on in our episode one on uh, setting the table for the war. We see with the flashpoint here that because of this, the Austro-Hungarian Empire wanted, some, wanted the Serbs to acknowledge that they were... Um, uh, funding the Black Hand somehow. They did not do that. And this kind of started the the, de the road to declaration of war that the Austro-Hungarian Empire had on Serbia, mm -hmm. right? Now, 
where, where, where does this bring in the other superpowers of the day, such as, such as Russia and Germany? So Austria did this before, and Russia backed off. So th that was part of the reason they said, if, if, we, if we make demands on Serbia again, they'll back off again. But they didn't this time. So um, Russia had repeatedly warned that if, if they make any you know, too strong of a stance against Serbia, Russia will get involved. And Germany obviously said that if uh, anyone declares war on Austria, you know, that's their closest ally. Yeah, and then, and then it kind of escalates from there. Uh, unfortunately, World War I is, is just on the doorstep here, and that's pretty much where we're going to, to end things with this particular episode before we jump on into uh, our next episode, where we focus a little bit more on the Czech side, the Bohemians that are getting involved in this in our next episode. Because Good soldier Schweik? Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about all of it. We're going to talk about how a lot, of, a lot of the Czechs decide to either leave the Austro-Hungarian Empire and wind up going to England, uh, or to uh, actually to actually uh, switch over to the uh, French Foreign Legion, and uh, some decide to stay and fight uh, on the Eastern Front for the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Some decide to to fight for the for the Russians. It is a mixed bag, and we're going to try to decipher that a little bit more. But to set the table with with what happened to lead people to World War One, and also the Austro-Hungarian for sort of flashpoint with the death of, Fran of Franz Ferdinand. Um, are all important things that kind of lead us through the next few steps into the Great War, which is in a, probably one of the more unfortunate events in human history. So we want to thank you so much for listening to Episode 2 Flashpoints on the Great War, the Czech Experience, as a special edition of the Bohemican Podcast. You can find more on our website on bohemican.com. So please visit there and see what uh, we have put up there for you. We want to thank you very much for listening tonight. Take care. Yep, thanks. You have been listening to The Great War, The Czech Experience, brought to you by the Bohemian Podcast. For more information on this special series, please go to bohemian.com. Thank you for listening.